You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Once you have your Bibles, turn in your copy of God's Word to John 4, verse 27. We'll be there in 27 through 42. And as you're looking for that, let me just ask this question. Have you ever walked in on the middle of a conversation between some people and the first words that you heard were actually kind of awkward that made you go, wait, what did you just say? Ever had that experience? Maybe two guys talking together and you walk up and then you hear one guy say, and then I buried him. And you think to yourself, you did what? You buried what here? And you get some more context and you learn that maybe a pet died and they had to bury it in the backyard for something. But a conversation like this and not a murder confession, but it is a conversation like this where there is a messianic confession by Jesus that the disciples walk into in our text uh, today. On their journey north, remember they are uh, had stopped at Jacob's well in the region of Samaria and the disciples have left Jesus to rest while they go to town in search of lunch. And meanwhile, Jesus and the Samaritan woman meet, and Jesus just radically changes her life, turns everything she knew upside down. And the conversation ends this way with the woman saying to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, he has just publicly confessed that he is the long-awaited Savior, the long-awaited Messiah to the Samaritan woman when the disciples walk up and hear this messianic confession. And so join me in your Bible as I read the scene and we see how the events unfold in next to this. Well, join me in your Bibles, verse 27. Let me read to verse 42. It says this, Just then his disciples came back. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. 
He said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now this is God's word for God's people. Now if you've been with us the last several weeks in John 4, are you amazed like I am at this entire chapter? Amazed at uh, uh, what Jesus can do and how uh, only he really can take a pit stop and turn it into like multiple teachable moments. You know, they're on a journey and he makes this stop and he, and, and he, and he uses it to teach these humongous spiritual truths. And I don't know about, about you, but when, when I'm traveling and we have to stop for a, a break, uh, it's, that break is really only long enough to, you know, take care of business and stretch our legs and then whew, we go, Right? Much to my family, they, you know, they don't always like the haste in which we go. But, you know, when we stop like this, I'm not, I'm not looking to, like, chat it up with the folks at the gas station or at the restaurant or anything or to stop and preach some sermons or look for teachable moments. That's not what I'm there to do I'm to make a pit stop and go. Anybody travel like that? Some of you are the lingerers, right? You like to go and stroll through the aisles and see the newest candy bars that Nestle has put out. You're like walking around and talking it up with the locals. Is that how some of you are? No, you're like me. You want to you wanna go? Yeah? Well, that's not the case with Jesus here. Jesus has business. They've, 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 they, 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 this isn't just like a random pit stop for him. He had a woman to save and to send on mission into her region. He had a messianic announcement to make about himself. He had some evangelism training to do with his disciples. And through this training and through this whole chapter, he really has one central message in everything that you need me more than anything. More than the water, more than relationships, more than even food, we need Jesus. And that's really what's at the center of this text. And what we just read here today, write this down, is that we need Jesus more than food. We need him in everything, more than even food that sustains our body. We need Christ who sustains our soul. It's our need for Christ that draws us to him for salvation. It's our need for Christ that takes us vertical in our worship of him. And it's our need for Christ that sends us out on mission with the gospel by his grace. See, Christ is the connecting piece that brings this whole chapter together. That brings all the events in this encounter, this pit stop at this well. He, when, when the conversation seems to be disconnected or disjointed or like somebody is distracting from it. No, he is the piece that is bringing it through each section at a time. It is he that makes sense of it all. See, we need Jesus more than food. But look at the opening scene here, the details this. That we need Jesus to make sense of our circumstances. Write that down. It's the first point of this, the first section here. that We need Jesus to make sense of our circumstances. We picked it up in verse 27 as the continuation of this story as it's going on. And the initial words here show the providential intentionality of Jesus. When it says, just then his disciples came back, it's not like a meanwhile back at the ranch, but down to the second that those words are leaving Jesus' lips, that I who speak to you am he, the disciples are walking within earshot and hear those words leave Jesus' lips. It's his timing. It is his providence at work. They are meant to walk up at that exact moment after being sent away, after Jesus having this conversation with the woman. They uh, now walk up, and look what it says there. They marvel 
that he was talking with a woman, but no one said anything. Now the disciples, they hear these words and they're speechless as they take on uh, the scene. And as you may be familiar with the Gospels or as we go through the book of John and you'll begin to see the, uh, the years and the ministry and the time with, uh, that Jesus has with the disciples, they are rarely speechless. As a matter of fact, they, they, they often stick their foot in their mouth or saying things that maybe they, uh, they regret later. But here, they, 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 they're just like, they're, 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 they're trying to process the circumstances that are happening. And you can almost imagine like they walk up and they maybe are coming through the brush and now they find Jesus here where they left him, but there's a woman in a jar and their eyes are just going from Jesus to the woman to the jar and back to Jesus and, like what? And, and all the, the societal uh, snafus that are being broken here, all the things, and they're just, nobody says anything but John the disciple who was there, the John who wrote this book here, he tells us at least what he was thinking in verse 27. No one's like, well, what do you seek? No, no one addresses the woman. Nobody asks Jesus, why are you talking with her? Nobody says anything until she just leaves. And, you know, just in my sanctified imagination, I can almost picture the disciples like years later after Jesus has died and rose again and ascended into heaven. And now they're being used to proclaim the gospel and doing ministry there in Jerusalem and out from there and churches are being planted and this message is going forward and they're old and they're like remembering back and, and, and just thinking about, remember that time when we first started following Jesus and we were journeying up through Samaria and we met this woman and it was really strange and Jesus said he was the Christ and, and, and all, remember how strange that was remember how she just like uh, left her jar there and bolted back to town and we were just there stunned and speechless ironic thing is while they're speechless at this moment as we learn here the woman was far from speechless her life had just been turned upside down. She leaves the, the jar there and goes into town and is telling anyone who will listen, come see a man who told me all that I ever did and asks this question that leaves us hanging there. Can this be the Christ? Can this be him? And like a conversation that doesn't make sense without the context, so too it's Jesus that makes this scene and this whole chapter and the many things in our life make sense. He is the peace that connects it all together for us too as we try to process the circumstances of our own life. The circumstances that are happening in our world or in our workplace, the things that we read in the media and what is happening, how do we make sense? What is the answer uh, to the chaos and the sin and the tragedy of this world? How do we make sense of it all? Well, it's only made sense of the solution and the rescue, the saving purpose is only found in Christ. How do we make sense of the political chaos that defines our day? Christ is the king that we long for, the just ruler that we await. How do we make sense of the gender ideology that's so pervasive in our day that has enslaved our most vulnerable? Well, it is Christ who is our creator in whose image that we are made, both male and female, uh, uh, we are made in his image. How do we make sense of the economic instability and the work demands in our own workplace that drive us mad? that Christ is our reward who's, uh, whom we await? How do we make sense of the guilt and the shame that we feel over the regrettable things that we've done? 
or said the words that uh, we wish we could have back, that tore a relationship apart, the things that we've done, the child maybe that uh, was taken from us, the child maybe that we even aborted that we because we were scared and we didn't know what else to do in that moment, the time that we've wasted, the time that we wish we could have back because we were too proud to admit that we were wrong with that person. Well, see, it's in these kind of situations that Christ, too, makes sense of it all, that he is our redeemer. He is the dispenser of the grace, the one who uses even these situations for our good and for our glory. We need Jesus to make sense of these things. And so, too, in our suffering, not only in the sin of the world and the sin in our own life, but we need Jesus to make sense of our suffering in those moments where we ask why. And then the questions turn into, uh, well, how long, Lord? Why am I walking through this? Why uh, am I being treated like this? Why have I received this diagnosis? God, how long will this treatment go on? How long will I have to endure? How long, oh, Lord? And it is only Jesus who can make sense of even these moments. We're apart from him and his glory and his saving purposes where all the pain would be pointless. But not so in his hands. Not so with Christ in the middle of it all, sovereign over it all, orchestrating all these things for our good. And the woman gets this. She is starting to understand and now she is one who runs off and bolts off to to go and make this message known and goes back to her own town so that the people are now coming to see this. See, she bolts out of there like someone who's just discovered the source of unending wealth and she rushes to tell anyone who will listen. It's motivated her. Now her life makes sense. Now all these things have been put in the right gospel perspective. And now she wants others to know this as well. Because see, this is what we need Jesus for, even in our own life. She needed it. We need it. The disciples need it. And it's what Jesus is teaching. See, we need Jesus to feed us for the mission as well. So you write this down, it's your second point. We need Jesus to, to uh, uh, make sense of our circumstances and to feed us, to send us out with this message of change, to send us out to proclaim Christ is the one who will save us. And so the woman leaves here. Now she heads out of there. And now the disciples think that it's time to eat. Catch that there? Like verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Like, teacher, this is what we're here to do, right? This is what you sent us away. They learned that back in verse 8. They went into town to get some food to eat, and they thought they were taking this pit stop because it was lunchtime. But no, Jesus has a lunchtime lesson for them, doesn't he? And he offers this food. They're saying, eat, and he gives them this riddle. Should we call that, that, uh, that, that statement in verse 32? But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Jesus, some, sometimes his words, his statements, they are kind of like riddles, aren't they? The disciples are obviously confused by it, and legitimately so. We can't get a too uh, bent out of shape over them or you know, think that they're just uh, slow on the uptick here. But, uh, you know, it's like, wait, wait they, don't, they don't know. Did somebody come? While we were gone, did somebody else bring him food? Did somebody beat us to this? And is our delivery service at Jacob's Well in Sychar in those days? Just dialed up, you know, first century Uber Eats. And no, the moment has meaning for them as well. What Jesus has been getting to the heart of over and over is we need Christ in everything. 
We need Christ to fuel us with the gospel. We need Christ to motivate us for the mission. See, knowing Jesus is the only compelling reason to seek God's will and to follow God's ways. You take out the joy of knowing Jesus. You take out the joy of following him, the joy of being uh, used uh, for his purposes. If you take that all away, then all of our efforts, all that we're doing here, following him is all pointless. It's all meaningless. Just go live your life according to what fills you up then. Whatever makes you happy. But Jesus would show us a better way. He would demonstrate with his own life and his own mission. See, Christ had a singular purpose with his life. Why would would God himself, the second person of the Trinity, why would God leave the splendor of heaven to take on this frail, broken human flesh and enter into the chaos that is humanity? Because he had a mission. Because he had to do the will and work of the Father, he came to die, to lay down his life, to show us how to live and to die in our place that we too might walk in newness of life. He showed us how to live that when we repent, we turn away from our sin and we follow in uh, Christ's ways that we too are then filled up. That we too are then uh, fed in this, this is what fueled Christ, the food for the joy set before him. His face was set as we sang in that first song. He would not be deterred. It fueled him, this mission, the will and work of God. It fed him. It kept him going. That's why he says that in verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. It's what fueled him and it's what fuels even us. Jesus would tell the devil in the wilderness and in his temptation in Matthew chapter 4, which he alludes to hear this same truth in Deuteronomy 8.3, where man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, we don't just, we're not just physical beings fed by the food that we must consume to live, but our soul needs nourishment and it is nourished in doing the will and work of God. The psalmist says in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And so Jesus is helping to make some, uh, some connections here for us, some, offering us some teachable moments where food satisfies for a few hours, but the gospel, missional fruit, seeing God at work in us and through us and in other people satisfies forever. And it's with an urgency that he, puts, that he, that he sends this out. He's like, water won't satisfy relationships or temporary satisfaction, food, temporary pleasures. And he's saying, but my, or God's will, doing God's will is what, fuels us. And we have many excuses why we don't do that, don't we? Excuses are why we don't talk about Christ. We're too busy. We're too scared. I don't know enough about the Bible. I can't answer people's questions. What if they ask me something that I can't give an answer to? Well, for the disciples here, apparently, theirs was, well, we'll get around to it later. Just give me four months. You see Verse look, verse thirty-five. Rather, do not say there are yet four months. Then come the harvest. He says, don't, the, the, like he's, he's alluding to like the the life cycle. You plant a seed, and like four months, then it will reap. He's like, give us give us four months. And Jesus is like, nope. Here's your opportunity. These Samaritans are coming right now. 
Look, lift up your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest as the, uh, those that the woman had just told her testimony to are descending upon them. We'll come more to that in just a minute. But they're coming here and he's like, no, now is the time to get to work. You are going to reap where I've been sowing, where the woman has now sown this gospel seed. They're coming and now we together will reap and sow and watch God at work and have joy uh, together. Here it is. And I get it, I get it. Sometimes it's easy just to go through the motions of life. We've tried to live this way. We've tried to live with a missional purpose. We've tried to bring the gospel into situations and sometimes it seems hopeless and, and oftentimes it seems pointless. But the call for Christ here is to just look around. You might be the least likely person person not even on your radar, the person that you think is the least spiritually interested, that would never step foot in church, that would never read the Bible with you, that would never have a gospel-like conversation. Maybe it's the least likely serving opportunity where you're like, yeah, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, that, that, that fits me. I don't know that I can. I don't know if I'm good at that. And it's all Jesus' point here. They were Jewish people thinking on a Jewish mission and now they're in Samaria and their mind is being blown. They're like, wait, this gospel message, this grace is for the Samaritans too? Yeah. Maybe for us, you know, it's just the, the, the feelings of being tired. Anybody feel like there's just no margin left in your schedule for anything or anyone else? Get it. But also don't miss the point that Jesus is trying to make here in his words in verse 34. See, it's the mission, it's the gospel that energizes us. It's what doing his will is what fills us up in God's economy. It all is turned around that it's the pouring out that also fills us up. When we feel like we have spent and are being spent for the gospel, we cannot go any further. It is in those moments where we are fed where maybe we are feeling physically hungry, physically exhausted, physically tired, and yet in these moments our soul is actually filled up in the doing of his work. He's already called out the temporary pleasures of food and relationships and, and water, but he's saying, now this is what grows us. This is what fills us up. It stirs our mind and stirs our affections and stirs our energy for the things of God. It was for Jesus and it is for us. Apostle Paul will come back to this uh, same theme and he'll draft off of it in his letter to Philemon. As he is encouraging Philemon, as he is praying for him. Look at this prayer in uh, verse 6 of, of Philemon. Paul says this, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, what is he praying for here? He's saying that as you share your faith, and now he's using that term in, in, in a, a sense that's much larger than when we talk about like sharing our faith, like evangelizing or just simply sharing the gospel. It includes that, but it's a, a fellowshipping of our faith, a bringing others into it, that, that through doing this, it may have an effect. What kind of effect? To the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us, right? The things that Christ has done on our behalf. 
that as we bring others in, we uh, love Christ more, that we love the gospel more, that we're more aware of God's grace to us and our understanding, our awareness of that uh, grows in us all for the sake or the glory of in service of Jesus. See, serving others, sharing our faith, living this way with a gospel urgency for the mission is as much as for our good as it is for others, and it is all for the glory of God. You catch the point there? See, our soul is fed in, in solidarity with Christ as we follow his example. This is what motivated Christ's obedience on this earth. Our soul is fed. As we rehearse the gospel to others, we remind ourselves of our identity. We remind ourselves of the firm foundation on which we stand. We remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Our soul is fed as we see God working in our life. And we share that with others as we become more aware and acknowledge his work that he is doing in us. And this brings us joy. This fuels us. It feeds us for the mission so that whether we are reaping, the one seeing someone actually come to Christ in that moment of their regeneration, of their initial first step, or we're just sowing where the one's talking about Christ, it all doesn't matter what part we play in the process because all the work is important and it is life-giving. It feeds us. It fuels us as we walk with Christ and for Christ in this way. See, redemption, let me just ask the question. You do some assessment of the life and the people around you. What is that opportunity right in front of you? Like who is ripe for the harvest? Who, where is that low-hanging gospel fruit right in front of you? What situation are you in maybe for a physical need that God has a gospel opportunity for you? Or you think you're maybe just on a lunch break, but God has a gospel opportunity. You're visiting this doctor because of this physical need, but who might he have for the gospel? You work in this uh, location, in this company, for this physical need to provide for your family, but Jesus has a gospel opportunity to fuel you, to feed you for the mission. See, the call is just to lift your eyes, to look around. Who has God put right in front of you? And it might be the least likely. And then whatever it is, seize the opportunity with humility, kindness, and boldness, and watch God go to work, be filled up with joy, and pray like crazy that God will do the work that only he can do. Because see, that's what happens as this uh, story comes to its conclusion. As the story is resolved here, as this woman has gone out, see, we need Jesus also to produce the growth. We need him to do the work that only he can do. It resolves here with many believing in Jesus. See, he is uh, energized. He is sending them out on the mission. But we also need Christ here to produce the growth. After Jesus has this teachable moment, we pick it up in verse 39 and it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So see how this like unfolds. Many are coming to believe in Christ because she simply just shared her testimony. We saw it back in verse 29. She's like, come see like this person that has told me, all this man has told me all that I ever did. And she just drops this question. Can this be the Christ? And church, this is just what we do. We speak of what God does. We sow his work in our life. And look, many just come to believe. They believe because of his word, not because of 
hers. Many more believe Jesus, verse 41 says, because of his word. And I say this to the woman, like it's not because of yours, and that's not to diminish uh, her testimony, but actually to exalt Christ. See, nobody believes in the woman, we believe in Christ. We share our testimony, not so people believe in us, but so that they believe in Christ. It's not a diminishment of her. It's actually an exaltation of Jesus. Our job is just to bring people to the Lord and then he will do the rest. We just talk about the things that he has done in our life. This is what he did in me. This is who I once was, but then I'm at Christ and now everything has changed and this is what my life is like now. And there's a moment that we talk about that, that singular moment, but praise God, he doesn't end his work in us all through the entirety of our lives. And so our testimony is ongoing. The work that he is doing now is like, well, God is working on me in this way, through my parenting, through this job, through this hard situation, through this suffering, whatever it is that Jesus is making sense of is a part of your testimony to share his will and his work with others so that they might believe not in you, but in Christ. And we need him to do just that. And this is, this is the thing. This is what Jesus is getting at here that they lead him to. And Paul uh, likewise picks up on this uh, to the Corinthian church. This, I want you to see this. Go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians 3 for a moment. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe not. If you're not sure, uh, you know, you're just getting used to where your Bible is and where things are. Just start turning to the right. You have John and then the book of Acts and then Romans. And then you have 1 Corinthians, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church, much like ours, in the city of Corinth. Jesus would teach his disciples this, and he would teach us. And Paul, in the same way, picks up on this theme, 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 5. He says this, What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Now those were, uh, they, they, they were... Well-known guys, Paul's a guy who's writing this. Apollos is another teacher, somebody useful. He says, what are these guys? Who are these guys? And he answers the question. They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. They were just messengers. They were servants of the Lord. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything Now, don't read that as like unimportant or insignificant, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Now, here's the the point in this agricultural illustration. Our job in all this, sometimes we sow the seed, other times we water, um, you know, the the sowing or the planting, the water, sometimes we're at the reaping. But here's the thing. We depend on God to cause the growth. Apart from it, it, it it won't happen. And so we just continually remain faithful, taking the opportunities that God has given us to sow, to plant, to, to, uh, to, to water, and to reap, and we trust God to do what only He can do. See, our unafraid witness or our evangelism isn't all about strategies for convincing people to believe in Jesus, but it is God's people talking about God's work in our lives uh, to anyone who will listen. This is what he has sent us on. See, any strategy that misses God's primary role will ultimately be ineffective. 
It's why we get on our knees and we pray for God to do what only he can do. It's why we tell the testimony of his work in our lives, not a self-help message about how we made our lives better because of Jesus, but what he has done. This is what God has done in my life, why we use his word and we bring people back to the word of God and ask these questions that, uh, that, that uh, uh, cause others to answer this question. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the one to whom you are seeking? Could this be the source of the satisfaction that you are seeking in all these places? Could this be the God of the universe that created you? And then you leave God to cause the growth. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only He can do, waiting on Him to do just that. And we don't have to worry about having all the theological answers or the apologetic arguments ready, though those are good. And we should be studying and growing in our theology and knowing that our faith is reasonable and there is an answer for these things. But like Jesus said, you don't have to wait through a four-month class to get all the answers and then go and share the gospel. Are you saved today, church? Do you have a testimony of God at work in your life? Then look, the fields are ripe for the harvest. Proclaim him and watch God bring people to himself so that they believe in him because of his word and not merely your word. He causes the growth. We just acknowledge his involvement in our life. Turning conversations to the things of God, not like in a riddle per se as we joked about, but like Jesus, taking these moments to acknowledge him and to acknowledge God's work in our life. What does that look like? How does it look like? Well, it looks like maybe you receive a compliment. Compliment for how you parent your kids. A compliment for a job well done at work. You can acknowledge the goodness of God in your life and the help that he has brought uh, you in these moments. It's acknowledging God to come and see what he's done. If somebody is struggling, they're sharing uh, with their struggles with you over uh, work and you can share the grace of God that has helped you through the moments that you were suffering or struggling the most. As you're talking with somebody about politics, discussing all the things and the beliefs and the new, you know, whatever agendas of whichever political parties who can bring in the lordship of Christ over it all. So you're lamenting the injustice that is prevailing in our day and what happens you can point to the only just one, the righteousness that exists in Christ that we all long for. As we're frustrated about a pandemic or we're frustrated about decisions, as we're frustrated about a boss or the slowness of a process or the slowness of uh, you know, the, the timelines and getting the things done, you can acknowledge the sovereignty of God through it all, that he has a gospel purpose in the midst of it. As you're talking with somebody about a big decision that they're trying to make or you're trying to make, you bring back to the wisdom of God and even the simple conversations where you're just commenting on the weather. Beautiful day out today, isn't it? It is. God is so majestic to give us this beautiful sunny day. And it's really just simple, isn't it? Our job and what God uh, can do and we can rest in that, it's as simple as just the sowing motion. We gather the gospel seed, we see what he's doing, and we just cast the seed. It's simple, like this motion. Now, there's some strategy about getting it, you know, orderly, and there's some effectiveness about, you know, proper distribution of the seeds and, and fertile soil and all that. But the reality is, 
We just sow the seed and watch it grow in God's kindness and God's providence. You don't have to force the conversation or coerce somebody into a decision, into making it happen. We just need God to produce the fruit in Christ. And we need him to do that. More than the food, we need to survive. More than, the, more than the water that we drink, more than the relationships that give meaning to our life, more than food, we need Jesus to work out salvation in us as he has in the Spirit to apply its effect on his children as they come to him. Without Jesus, it wouldn't happen. We'd be as helpless and hopeless as ever we were. But indeed, he did indeed, as they come to confess, indeed, this is the Savior of the world. Born from a Jewish heritage, born from this lineage, but given to this uh, Samaritan woman and these Samaritans who would believe over these two days and spread across the globe. And praise God, the gospel made it to you and to me, and to all of us, and it will continue on out from us. Let us, church, let us do our part to make sure that it continues on out from us as well. The fields are ripe for our harvest on our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our state, and across the globe. Let us do our part, dependent on Christ, more dependent on Him than we are for food. But let us see Christ at work in and through and out from us all to his glory with this message. Indeed, this is the savior of the world on our lips. Let's pray and ask him for that and worship him because of him. God in heaven, here we are. And even as we uh, uh, pray in light of this, God, maybe we just need you to help make sense of the circumstances that we're in. Maybe there are some among us just confused at this point. Like, yeah, I I see the point, and yet I don't see the sense. I don't see the solution. Jesus, would you make that very clear by your Spirit even now, God? Help us in these moments to see what you're doing, to see how you are the answer, to see how you are the connecting piece that makes this good, that can make this uh, be used for good in our life and in those around us. Maybe the sense that we need is to just come to faith. Lord, maybe you're at work and somebody even now Would you cause them to believe? Not because of what I've said or because of what anybody else has told them, but because of these words that we've just saw in your book. God, make them believe. Spirit, would you uh, send us out on mission? Fill us up, fuel us, God. Even when we feel like we have no more margin, no more energy, nothing yet left to give. Motivate us, compel us, God. May we too say that our food, what we need more than anything is to do your will and to do your work in every situation. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear what you're doing and who you are at work in and how you are using these circumstances and these people and the things in our life. God, for your glory. 
We call on you. We wait to and watch you do your work. And we do, we behold that you are our Savior. There's none like you, and so we praise you for it. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen.